Welcome everyone to Stories of Hope. I'm Christine Hotchkiss, your host. I believe everyone has a story that is unique, just like their fingerprint that puts them on the path of our journey. Some call it purpose. Every story can help, heal, inspire, educate. And my one word is to give hope. Today, my guest is Debbie Smith, and she's going to talk about Parkinson's disease. There are five different stages, just like Michael J. Fox. Debbie talks about a non-trembling Parkinson's disease, and we'll have her explain more. Good afternoon, Debbie, and welcome. Hi, Christine. Welcome. Thanks for having me on. Yes, yes. So Parkinson's, we all, if, if my listeners know who Michael J. Fox is, uh, we all know that um, one day he was you know, the, the famous um, Back to the Future, along with all other characters he's played in our movies as we were growing up. And then he, um, I guess... Got Parkinson's, and I'm not quite sure what Parkinson's disease is. Could you explain it to our listeners? I sure can. Um, so Parkinson's disease is a neurodegenerative disease uh, disorder that affects the brain. And it's predominantly the dopamine that uses, that is a neuron-centered area that sends messages to your muscles and your arms and your limbs, Right. So you may be telling your arm to lift up, but as the Parkinson's disease progresses, the message doesn't get to your muscle. The neuron doesn't fire out of your brain to come in and say, lift up my arm, right? You're telling it to, it just doesn't do that. So as the early progression, there's two types um, of Parkinson's. There's five stages of Parkinson's, but there's two types. There's the motor symptoms, which everybody associates with Parkinson's, the tremor, the slow walking, the physical part of Parkinson's, but there's also non-motor symptoms of Parkinson's, which happens to be constipation. Who talks about that on TV? (laughs) But um, people with Parkinson's do. Okay. Um, Constipation, depression, um, the... uh, the lack of socialization, the want to be kind of by yourself. Um, those are some of your non-motor symptoms. Sleep behavior disorders where you're acting out your dreams is also a non-motor symptom of Parkinson's. Uh, loss of sense of smell is one of the things, uh, symptoms of Parkinson's. It's non-motor because you can't see that, right? Right. Most of the time when I talk to people and I say I have Parkinson's disease, they're like, really? I would have never suspected that because everybody associates or a big chunk, a big portion of our audience will associate Parkinson's disease with tremors. And that's always the case. In Michael J. Fox's situation, he had what they call young onset Parkinson's disease. And that is for those individuals who get it under the age of 50. He starts, it starts off with you'll have rigidity, um, slowness of movements, which is bradykinesia. You'll also have some stiffness in one side of your body. And that's usually how it starts out. That's usually generally the stage one of Parkinson's. There are five stages of Parkinson's. Earlier on, the stage one and two are just non-motor or motor symptoms, but it does not affect our ability to have a daily active life. As you progress a little bit more with Parkinson's, it starts inhibiting your daily activities. It starts limiting your daily activities. And then when you get to stage five, you actually are pretty much totally dependent on someone. You're probably in bed or in a wheelchair and you need daily care. Oh, wow. 
So um, a little bit about stage one, and that is somebody who's fully functional like me. I was diagnosed over seven and a half years ago, right before I turned 52. So while I didn't have what they call young onset Parkinson's disease, I had what they call early onset Parkinson's disease. Because typically people get Parkinson's disease or are diagnosed with it around the mid-60s, 65, 70 um, they start noticing symptoms, they go to their doctor and they're saying, oh yeah, Parkinson's disease. As we stand right now, there's 10 million people in the world that have Parkinson's disease. There's 1 million people in the United States diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. On average, 60,000 people a year are diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Wow, that's quite a bit. Yeah, it is now the second largest fastest growing neurodegenerative disease out there. And it's right behind AL, um, Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's. Yeah. Um, what, what are this, how would you know you have it to go to a physician to even be diagnosed with it? Especially when you yeah. talked about early stages of it. Yeah. So um, I've always been a very active person on my entire life. I, I run, I hike, I box, I did, um, Many fitness classes, strength training, all of that stuff. I've been that my entire life. Um, I've been fortunate enough to be married to uh, my husband. We're going to celebrate 33 years in August. Congratulations. Yeah, it was uh, four or five months before our 25th wedding anniversary. And I was sitting on the couch and I looked at my husband and I said, hey, I was putting my hands up as if to play the piano, but my left hand was not moving. My right hand, the keys were just, fingers were going across the key. And I said, hey, I think I pulled my muscle because that was not uncommon with me. I would always overdo the exercise and maybe pull a little strain something or run with my dog. I stopped, he didn't, and yanked my arm out one time. So I thought it was just a pulled muscle, right? For whatever reason, my husband said, no, I'm not sure that's what it is. Why don't we just go right to a neurologist and skip the primary physician? And I was thinking, uh, all right, but I didn't think it was anything serious. So we went to a neurologist and um, he had me do a few tests where you do your fingers, put your fingers together. You kind of move your fingers a little bit. He's looking, actually looking for your movement, slowness of movement when he does this. Okay. Then he uh, did some little bit of testing on my feet and my legs. And then he asked me to walk down the hallway. When I came back to him, this is all of 20 minutes, okay? He came back to him and he said, you have Parkinson's disease. I looked at this neurologist and said, not sure where you got your degree at, doc. <laughs> I don't have Parkinson's disease. Because I didn't have it in my family. I knew nobody who had Parkinson's disease. I had no idea what symptoms could be. But he said, you have slowness of movement. Your gait is slow. When you walk down the hallway, you don't swing your left arm. And these are all symptoms that people wouldn't notice just by themselves. But when you put it all together, you notice that's the, the non-motor type of symptoms of Parkinson's. Now, you had talked about how you joked with a physician. You're not sure where he got that from because of your genetics. So this is not necessarily a genetic type of disease is what you're saying. Correct. They really don't know what causes Parkinson's. Okay. Um, they are linking it to the environment. A lot of people who live in rural territories or pollution areas, that kind of stuff. 
Um, there are some genetic familial uh, genes that are out there that can contribute to more people getting Parkinson's if, it, if it's in the family. Mm-hmm. But I have that, so that kind of threw me off a little bit. I did MRIs, CAT scans, I did occupational therapy, and I for three months I still didn't believe this neurologist, even though he was a very <laughs> experienced and, and talented doctor. Right. Um, he finally said, is there anything I can do to make you believe me that you have Parkinson's? And I said, no. Got to be a test out there, right? Something out there. Sure. But there is one test. It's not 100% conclusive. And uh, clinical observation is still 99% of the way that they diagnose Parkinson's right now. But there's a test called the DAT scan. And that's D as in Debbie, A-T scan. And what you do is you go, to, you go to a hospital, they inject you with this special serum dye stuff, and then it shows a part of the brain as to whether that particular part of the brain is still producing dopamine. Dopamine is that neuron receptor area of the brain called the substantia nigra, what sends the neuron messages out to your muscles and your body to move. What it showed was not really producing or that 60 to 70 percent of my brain had died that particular part that produces the dopamine that part of the brain had died is what you said well it's the yeah it's actually the dopamine part inside substantia nigra area of the brain that's the area where your neurons send out the messages to your body okay and so it, it it actually shows up where if you have a lot of dopamine, you, it looks like little um, black spots all over this uh, scan. Okay. And you lose your dopamine, meaning that it's died off. It's just more spare, uh, sparse and very few pieces of black stuff on the scan, right? So that showed him that, okay, you're not producing the dopamine anymore, that your body, that, that no. I don't want to say I'm abnormal, right? So right. Normal, who knows what that is anymore? Right. But that someone who wasn't diagnosed with Parkinson's would have. And so um, he switched me over to what they call a movement disorder specialist. And that is a neurologist who specializes in Parkinson's and the movements. And so that they can come up with a better plan of action, medication, exercise, therapy, different things like that in order to help you have your highest quality of life. Isn't that what we all want, a high quality of life? Absolutely. As yeah. far as I'm concerned, even with Parkinson's, I can still live a very full life. So um, you, you had said there's five stages. There is five stages. Are um, you considered in like the first stage? And in each of these stages, and, I, and, and if I ask this, this may not be politically correct because I'm not familiar with That's why I ask these questions. You said there's five stages. You're, you've already indicated where you're at. Is it something that will progress into the other five stages, or is that something that you can actually prevent with exercise and diet like anything else? So I can slow down the progression of the disease with exercise, medication, socialization. I won't prevent the progression of the disease. Oh, wow. Okay. Exercise does help build dopamine in your body for all of us, right? Right. Um, 
feel good when we exercise. We have the uh, energy, extra energy, and the messages are all firing off the right way. Right. But there is no cure for Parkinson's right now. It's a um, neurodegenerative disease that is just not curable. But we all have hope, right? And, and your show is about hope. Right. Um, so there, let me go back just to, to one second. There are five stages. So stage one is where you just have mild symptoms, and it's generally kind of an inconvenience to have Parkinson's, right? <laughs> You're with your daily activities, but you notice that you have some limitations. Stage two, your symptoms are getting worse. It may introduce a tremor, more rigidity, um, some other movement, and, and it will possibly go to the second uh, to the other side. So initially your Parkinson's will start on one side. Everybody starts on one side. As you progress, it'll go to the other side. So then both sides will be affected. For me, I'm still after seven and a half years on my left side only. Uh, the rigidity, the stiffness, the um, slowness of movement, all on my left side. Now, when you say sides, can it be different for each person does it always have to be left side or does it does it matter a good question and it absolutely is different for every person okay Parkinson's disease in general and the symptoms are different for every person it's probably one of the most unique diseases out there in that every single person may exhibit a little bit of this symptom or a little bit of that symptom and even the treatment as far as we're all on a particular uh medication called carbidopa levodopa took me like six months to figure out how to say that <laughs> um the carbidopa levodopa is what produces the dopamine in my body okay it mimics what dopamine would do it's just the uh pharmaceutical grade of carbidopa of the dopamine um but but going back to your question also is everybody will start on one side of the body unless they were diagnosed in the stage three or four, right? They just ignored their symptoms, didn't go to a doctor. And then by the time they finally did go to the doctor, it had went from one side to the other. Unusual, but yes, that definitely can happen. So stage three is when you start losing your balance and your movements are really slow where you may need a walker, may just need some assistance in walking, um, you have more falls because you, you don't you don't pick up your feet. You're shuffling your feet at that point. Um, need some help still with dressing, but you can still live alone as long as somebody's checking on you. you know, we all know how much somebody loves their independence, like ourselves. <laughs> right, right, right. And then stage four, your symptoms get more severe and more limiting, and um, that's when you're probably going to be in a walker or a wheelchair. Uh, still need help with your daily activities, and you can't live alone by the time you reach stage four. Oh, wow. Stage five is the most advanced and debilitating, um, debilitating stage where your, your legs are so stiff you can't walk. You're probably in a wheelchair or you're bedridden. You daily, uh, daily assistance with your, your uh, getting dressed and your activities you would not be able to live alone. And that would be in your, your later stages of Parkinson's. Most people can live a very healthy life, 20 to 30 years living with Parkinson's, as long as they're exercising, taking their medication. And, and actually, a really big key is the socialization for people with Parkinson's because depression is one of the major symptoms of Parkinson's. 
I'm not sure I've ever been depressed in my life, but well, I take that back. This uh, quarantine, I thought oh, I was going to die. Yeah, I think that's hit everybody. I don't even care how positive you are, such as myself. It's it's taking its toll for sure. Um, when you say socialization for our listeners to understand better, what is the social socialization you're referring to? Interacting with people? What is it? It's really interacting with people, getting out of the house, not just talking on the telephone, but a physical um, interaction. And, you know, we as humans need that interaction. Even um, talking on the phone, FaceTime, those are temporary and good substitutions. Uh But everybody needs a hug. Everybody needs touch. Everybody needs to know and, and be able to react to each other. And that is through physical socialization. Um, I mentor a lot of newly diagnosed Parkinson's patients. Um, initially, it was females. Um, and now it's, it's anybody who wants to talk to me. You know, I go out and um, talk to people when I have chances at support groups and just tell my story. Uh, here's how I was diagnosed. And when they say, you know, why are you so positive? This is a horrible disease. And and I go, well, there's a lot of horrible diseases out there. Absolutely. And this is not the worst disease to have. Absolutely. Um, you know, attitude. What I say, like, yeah, okay, I get that. Mm-hmm. I say attitude is everything, even though we're going through a very trying time for what our fourth month into the year is very trying. And it's everything that we have within us to say, okay, this is, this is temporary. We're going to get through this. But you've always heard that phrase. It could be worse. And so you just mentioned that it could be something else that you're dealing with, but it's not. And your attitude is everything. I had a short conversation with someone this morning about the hugs like you just shared. And we have to have that physical touch. That's part of what we're made up of. We're, we're energy beings. And some of us who are higher energy beings, such as myself, and as I have gotten to talk to you, you as well, because you're active as I am too, and an extrovert. So we, we rely on that. And when you pull it back, I I explained it to someone today. I said, I am so missing giving hugs, getting hugs. I am a very high energy being and like a plant that needs the sunshine. (laughs) It's tough. So depression, I can, you know, I, I've, I've interviewed a lot of people and depression seems to come up in every single conversation in one way, shape or form. And it, it, it does play a part in our lives. Um, now, how we choose to make it the part of our lives, I think, is an individual. Um, it's, it's an individual thing. Um, when you're talking about this disease, and our viewers can't see you, but you, you're very vibrant, and you've talked about how active you are, and you have shared your story to other people who think they just got diagnosed with this. They're like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? But like anything... We can all say, what are we going to do? So what do you do to keep yourself energized when you don't have that socialization going on? And you're not in the other stages, but we still need it regardless of our disease. But because you have Parkinson's and that's part of the the things that you've talked about, what do you do? So uh, when I was first diagnosed, my doctor had said, find a support group, you know, Mm -hmm. find somebody to talk to, uh, exercise, socialization, and the medication for me, it was exercise, right? I love to exercise and getting with people allows me to chat about how was your weekend? What medication are you on? Um, what were your symptoms? Because all of that is information to allow you to digest what is going on in your body. Right. Also, make informed decisions on do I want to do more stretching, yoga, 
Do I want a box? How intense if I do I want to be? One of the neurologists that I had been with said, if you will do 30 minutes, excuse me. So it, it said after age 40, all of us start losing some of our brain cells. But if we can do 30 minutes of aerobic exercise three times a week, that'll help slow down the degenerative part of the brain cells for everybody. So I said, if three days a week is good, six must be better. <laughs> Overachiever. <laughs> right? Overachiever. Um, I, boxing is really good for people with Parkinson's. And no matter what stage you're in, they have a rock steady boxing club in almost every city. Um, and that will, that will um, adjust to your stages, right? So if you have a hard time boxing and punching, they'll get one of those dummies that get in front of you and you can just sit with a chair and just punch your heart out. Right. Me, I want to be in the ring with a boxer and going at it as hard as I can. Um, so there's a, there's a stage one and the stage five of the boxing abilities, right? We go in there and do that. I also hike because if you um, are able to, to, take big steps that helps the freezing part of Parkinson's Oh wow! kind of gets you into always thinking about picking up your feet, taking big steps and making sure that you've got that activity going on, which will help slow down some of the progression of the disease. But not only that, it will help you create a muscle memory that will allow your feet to know I've got to move forward. Even when your brain is not telling it to do that. Right. So a lot of the exercises we do and a lot of the um, aerobic exercises we do, we're doing it to create muscle memory so that when our body starts breaking down, it'll still know how to get out of bed. It'll still know how to stretch in the morning. It'll still know that if there's a function I have to get done, even though my brain doesn't always tell me to do that. Like say, like staying in bed when you're like, oh, but I don't want to. You really, <laughs> you're like, but you need to. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, sleep is very important for people with Parkinson's also, because as my movement disorder specialist will tell you is you've got to clear the garbage out every day of what gets into your brain, right? Yeah. I recommend seven to eight hours of sleep for those people with Parkinson's, but I will have to tell you that even you and my husband needs seven to hour, eight hours of sleep. You have to clean out the, the junk that's in your brain and allow it to refurbish and get new thoughts and new processes because that keeps us all healthy. I, you know what? I have a friend of mine that's always saying, Christine, do you ever sleep? Because you really need to get, you know, seven to eight hours of sleep. I said, I get as much sleep as my body allows me to. It's, I can't do anymore. And if I stay in bed more than five and a half or six hours, my body hurts. It's like, get up. My brain says, no, we got to get up. My body says, let's go. So some people can sleep 12 hours. <laughs> I can't I get five and a half to six hours. And I'm pretty active like you too. Yeah, I used to do that. Um, I worked up until I was age 57 and retired. And I told my neurologist, my movement disorder specialist, that I didn't need more than four to five hours of sleep. I functioned. I was a highly functional, <laughs> functional person. Uh -huh. she, we all think that because we train our bodies to think we only need five to six hours. That's why your brain says, get up. You don't need any more sleep. Okay. She suggested I get on a melatonin or a sleeping, something that was non-addictive that would help me. And I will tell you that getting seven hours of sleep does allow me to function at a higher capacity during the day. 
Well, you know, you talk about the seven, eight hours. What about someone who doesn't get the seven or eight hours, but has the lifestyle to take a nap and still sleep the five? Does that, is that? Yes, they love, they, people love naps. I'm not a nap person. <laughs> I'm not either. People love naps and they do highly recommend that during the day too. If you can get a 15 to 30 minute nap to get you through, they say that will really help and allow your brain time to rest. Okay. Well, I don't think those of us who have a full schedule can put 15 minutes in, but you know, it makes sense in other countries you hear about them taking time to shut things down to have those 15, 20 minute, half hour naps and makes a big difference. Um, You had talked about a support group. Are you currently with a support group? Uh, I have probably three or four that I work with. Um, There's a group that we go hiking every Tuesday and Thursday. There's about eight to 10 of us that consistently go. And then I have a couple of female, all women support groups that I go to. Um, Right now we're doing Zoom, which. Yeah, we're all on Zoom these days. Um, Right. I miss the personal attention, but um, so I, I basically really just have two consistently that I go to. And then I volunteer and help out at some of the other ones where I'll just go and talk and tell my story. Would you like to share a couple of those um, organizations in support groups in case one of our listeners or many of our listeners want to know more or need a support group they didn't even know was available? Uh, Well, I'll tell you what, I'll give them my name because um, I wouldn't want to share the other stuff unless I know for sure that that they're still open to taking on new clients or new uh, members. Um, My name is Debbie Smith, and my number is 480-529. 4828 and they can call me or text me and I can connect them with depending on what part of the city they're living in too right because there's one in Scottsdale there's one in Gilbert there's several of them in in, uh, the northern Phoenix area and so depending on where they would live unless they were in my area it wouldn't work for them to join the ones that I'm going to or they could go so this podcast goes just about everywhere so um with a support group you were talking about just here in Arizona, what would be a um, site that they could go to to perhaps find a support group for them? Yes, very good. So there's parkinsons.org. It's the Parkinson's Foundation that is worldwide. There's also um, AD, uh, Michael J. Fox Foundation is a wonderful resource. Okay. There's Davis Finney. Uh, foundation which is a wonderful resource it's all over the united states michael j fox is all over the united states and in the world and then the parkinson's foundation also is uh, global so any one of those websites would have a ton of free resources and connections to local um, clubs and meetings and support groups perfect perfect now my last question i love to ask everybody is What message would you like to leave our listeners based on your journey of Parkinson's disease or about life in general? Well, we can't change the fact that we have Parkinson's disease. Once you get that diagnosis, it's it's yours for life. (laughs) Um, Parkinson's, we're not going to die from Parkinson's, but we'll probably die with Parkinson's. But I say, have the best life you have now. Don't listen to people who tell you don't get on medication early because your body will get used to it. Your body doesn't get used to the medication and it won't stop working effectively. You may have to increase your medication because your symptoms get worse and you're trying to minimize the symptoms with the medication. 
But with the right medication and the exercise and the socialization, you can have as high a quality of life as you want. And I've chosen to have the highest quality of life. I tease everybody and say, God needed somebody loud and energetic in the Parkinson community. <laughs> and so once I got the disease, he tapped me on the shoulder and said, do your part, go out there and spread good cheer and positive attitude and be there for other people. Agreed. I say I'm the voice of Parkinson's at times because for many people, they don't want people to know they have Parkinson's. They can't talk about the disease. It has really affected them. And the mental side of it for them is, is debilitating in and of itself. So not just the physical, but the mental. Um, I would say live the best life you can, get on medication, do your exercising, and most importantly, have a support group. You need to know that people care. The Parkinson's community is one of the most generous and loving and caring communities I've ever been in. So I great life. And if you need anything, let me know. I love to use this phrase, the me too factor. Now, a me too factor can go in a lot of different ways. Um, but when you have a me too factor with someone saying, I have Parkinson's, oh, me too, then you can relate and understand. So it's easier to talk about. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. Okay, good. Thank you so much, Debbie, for sharing your story about Parkinson's disease and informing us on the different um, stages. And uh, yeah, we could look at someone and they look normal, but everyone's battling something as it's been said right absolutely that's so true we never know what that person is going through when we see them no we don't we don't and so I'm always thinking of other people because I know what my journey is that I walk every day and you wouldn't see it on the outside but um so if I know what I've got going on I try to respect everyone else because you, you can't see the inside and people don't always share what it is that's going on in their lives so I thank you for giving me your time and sharing your journey and your story about Parkinson's disease. You're very welcome, and thank you for having me. Yes, absolutely. Thank you again for being my guest, to sharing your story of helping, healing, inspiring, and my favorite word is to give hope. To my listeners, if you would love, like to share your story, want to donate, or you have someone who you feel needs to share their story, you can also be anonymous. Please email me to the address of Christine with a ch at storiesofhope.com and that's stories with a y our lives are not edited and we do have people out there that even though you don't think that you're you have support as debbie has just mentioned there's always somebody out there with the me too factor and you can get through this and we'll be okay until next time everyone i wish you well and you take care <laughs>